hello and welcome to the Better Relationship Podcast. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I'll be exploring interesting, exciting conversations with people who have stories, solutions, and expertise to help you in your journey towards richer and more meaningful relationships in your life. Hello, my friends. Welcome to RelationFlix Podcast. Super excited that you've joined us again today. Really excited to welcome uh, my guest on the show today, Erika Briones. Uh, she is a personal and sexual uh, sovereignty and empowerment coach, and she's been doing some incredible work in the world. And she's gonna she's here to share some of her magic and also some of her story, which is it's just one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard. And it's it's one of those stories that, like for me, it it kind of reinstates my faith in humanity. Because we know that that life is difficult and we know that life can get very dark and painful. And I think one of the things that's most inspiring is that when people are able to live through some of that and, and not just survive, but to come out the other side with something to share the, with the world. So, Erika, thank you so much for joining me and uh, looking forward to the conversation today. Thank you for having me. What a beautiful introduction. My heart is beating with such joy. And yes, I claim that I'm here on this journey to support others through their sexual sovereignty, their personal sovereignty by liberating the stories of their sexual narratives. Yeah, beautiful. Now, I know, you know, uh, from my perspective growing up in in a modern Western culture, uh, sexuality, it's one of those things where it's a funny dance because on one level it's everywhere. You know, it's, it's just absolutely plastered to everything. Sex and sexuality is used to sell everything. And yet uh, it seems there's also a, a striking lack of open, sincere dialogue about all of the dimensions of sexuality. And, and, and so maybe we can start with your thoughts on um, that kind of dichotomy, like, what do you think of it? And then maybe what, what, what could we benefit from knowing from your perspective? And, and then I would love for you to share a little bit about your story um, as it, as it presents today. Mm. That's a powerful question to start off with. Um, I like the word dance and dancing with this energy of sexuality and dancing is a big part of who I am. And I definitely feel like there's so much shame when it comes to sexuality. And I share this in the relation flicks video about the acidity principle that we have all this acid inside of us. You know, first my friend gave me this idea, this metaphor, and it's like, you need to go use a bathroom and you're not fully present because you have all this acidity within yourself. And for me, that is guilt, shame, and also dogma. Also the, these religious beliefs of if I do this, if I don't live this way, then I will go to hell. Or if I'm not approved by society, then who am I without these labels or these roles that we play into, right? So for me, the reason why I bring up dance is I was obsessed with spinning. Like as a salsa dancer, spinning was a big part of my identity. And if I did not spin, then I was not really seen or acknowledged. And as a performer, I had a lot of performance anxiety, so connected to sexuality, because if I did not perform a certain way, then I would not feel like I'm getting the approval of certain people in my community. And again, it all goes back to the family tree, like going back to my mom's approval, my dad's approval. And that story started like showing up in how I was being with men, being with the masculine and being with my own masculine. And so as I share it, I still have to practice sovereignty by how I choose to talk about my story. We all have a story. We all have a narrative. And I think it's just being more mindful of how that story showing up in your breath, your presence, your voice. Um, how you're moving. Yeah. I mean, I hear you the, using the word sovereignty there. It sounds to me like you're, you're really advocating for a, a degree of, of kind of self-ownership and self-reflection that enables us to, in spite of this conditioning, in spite of the, maybe the weirdness of how sexuality was taught to us or, or, or how it, how we experienced it, or in some cases, how it was forced on us. Um, 
how to create a sense of agency in spite of the conditioning that's there. So that's kind of what I'm taking from what you're saying, which is lovely. So I think it would be great for people that don't know you that are listening, you know, to to say talk a little bit about your story because it's so clear to me that your story is is very central to to who you've become in in a beautiful way, and it's also central to how and why you do the work you do. So yeah, any way, any anywhere you want to start, but I would love to hear a little bit more about some of your journey that that helps people understand where you've been and and why they might want to listen to you. Hmm. Such a great, one of my favorite questions is about the hero's journey. And there's so much medicine in storytelling and hearing about um, how one person went from like the struggle or feeling like the underdog or this idea of Cinderella and transformation. I love movies. I, I love seeing a person go from one story to another. I recently watched the movie Made and there's such hope in a story. And so for me, I was, you know, the underdog since I was little. And I don't know why I'm even starting with that, but I know I I trust fully that I'm saying that for a reason. And I was a big dreamer. I was wanting to create videos and I wanted to be a storyteller. I made these little commercials, but my family said, you're going to live on this path. This is your story. And because of that, I did not know who I was. And for me, I lived in a house of half truths and half lies. So in the 90s was the year of a lot of secrecy. I recently started watching, um, I might not get it right, American Crime Story. with, And it was about Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. And it was like leaking out all the secrecy. And I was also living in that time when I was living a double life. Um, I said I was a joyful little girl and yet I was not feeling joyful. I was just having challenges with my menstrual cycle. I was having challenges raising my hand. I did not know how to be a little girl because I was being sexually abused behind closed doors. And my stepdad showed one story, one projection of this leader of someone who was this amazing community member, except he was living a double life. Mm -hmm. And it was so interesting because I was not only living a double life as a little girl, but in my adulthood, in my twenties, I was also living a double life. I said to my friends, I'm a secretary. And I was not a secretary. I was doing sex work. I was doing everything from Tantra, escorting my, I could tell that my voice is shaking because that's the story, right? There's still some, some guilt, some form of like, I'm doing something bad or if someone hears this, then um, what's going to happen next? Mm. Am I going to be loved? Mm. Are people still going to accept me? And this was actually a very interesting story that I just released this year through my writing. When you write, oh, there's such healing by actually being aware of that story and then asking yourself, what is that lesson? What is the story really about? Who is this about? Because it always kind of connects back to a person, someone that you look up to. And for me, um, my heroes were my, my cousin, my sister, specific role models and thinking they have it all. They are career women. They have a family. And I wanted that. And I thought that that was happiness. And I thought if anyone knew about the story, I will be banished. That is such a strong word. Banished comes with the energy of dishonor. When we think that we dishonored, we are exiled. We do not belong to that community. <sighs> and I want you to know that your story matters. And as long as you are taking self-responsibility and making sure that you have accountability to not go back to that lifestyle, that everything's going to be okay. When I started sharing the story, I shared this with my partner and I was terrified and I had so much judgment to think that who's going to love me for my past? What man is going to love a sex worker? Like even every time I share that on a podcast, 
I'm learning to love that person. I'm learning to love that sex worker and knowing that sex workers are healers, that they're actually doing God's work. But again, it comes down to integrity. It comes down to values because it doesn't matter if you're a sex worker or a lawyer or a businessman. What matters is that you have values that actually make you feel whole, like kindness, generosity. Yeah. Well, I, I love So thank you for sharing that. It, it's obviously it's very personal, uh, intimate stuff about your past. Um, you know, I think the things that, that pop out on, on me in terms of just the most striking about your story is, is a, there was a kind of sign of what was to come in you when you were little, like this, this bright eyed girl who just has big visions. I feel like I can see and feel that in you. And in spite of these painful experiences, like you, you were just willing to keep coming back to that brightness, that, that willingness to kind of share your, your love with the world. So that, that feels really clear in the sharing of that story. The other thing that, that I, I really appreciate is like the piece around shame. And, and, and of course, your story is particularly striking. It includes things that, that most people have never experienced and unfortunately never will. Um, but I think in those kinds of extreme experiences, there's an opportunity for us to reflect on like, what is it? What is shame? Why, why do we go there? And so like, I wanted to share a little bit about my, my kind of take on shame. And then I would love to hear what you have to say about it. And, and as we go through the conversation today, my hope is, is that, um, illuminating these dynamics of guilt and shame and, and, and expanding them outside of Erika's experience, which is amazing, but like, I don't know anyone that's not carrying around some kind of shame, some kind of sense that there's something wrong with them or that there's something that they should be different around or, or be better than. And, and so I think there's some things for us to take from your story, even if we don't necessarily share your experiences. Yeah. And, and so for me, like, a lot of the work I've done in my life, both personally and professionally around shame has been around like, what, where does it come from? I like to talk about what is the genesis of shame? And, and what I notice is, is that inevitably in life, there are painful experiences and they usually happen very early on. And so for a, for a, a baby or a very young child who's experiencing a lot of discomfort and pain, there natural inclination is to how do I make sense of this pain? Why this pain? You know, it's, I think it's an implicit question that we ask, especially when we're young. And, and when we ask that question, the pain has a location to it, right? The pain is here. It's in our chest. It's in our stomach. We hold it in our neck or wherever the pain exists, it's in us. And, and what a young child will easily do is to connect the dots and go, oh, the pain and the discomfort and the ugly, the ugly feeling is here. It must be me. There's something wrong with me. That's why the pain. And so that genesis of, of there's something wrong with me then requires an object to help tell the story. And that's why some people are ashamed because they're so fat. Some people are ashamed because they're so skinny. Some people are ashamed because they're so tall so short. So, you know, like you can see the diversity of what we're ashamed of. It's clear. It's not about the things like it's not, it's not really the things that we're ashamed of. It's that we have shame and then we need a story to help us tell about the shame. So anyway, I just wanted to share that because it felt um, relevant to the conversation we're having. And, and again, I would love to hear any thoughts you have about what I said or any thoughts at all about shame that might be helpful for people. Mm -hmm. I really like your take on shame and what's present for me is how it's shown up as in the body. So I studied the Chinese meridians um, and how it shows up as a pathogen. Mm -hmm. So our thoughts create emotions and our emotions create a pathogen. So right now what I'm present to is I'm actually healing trauma with my lungs. So I was told I have asthma and I started actually recognizing this through a conversation with my partner that sometimes when I cough, it's actually a nervous tick that mm -hmm. comes from a wound. 
And when I was little, I was not allowed to speak certain truths. I was not allowed to actually share my reality. And how that was coming up is I'm just going to cough. And there was a memory that came through a flashback. And that was as a little girl, I would put bandages on my legs. And I didn't know why I did that. But subconsciously, a child is communicating energetically. Kids are very smart. They pick up on the conversations of their parents. So a child is going to take on the anger of the parents and maybe they're holding it in and they're sharing a happy face, but the child is acting out that the child is angry and the parents are like, I don't know what's happening. And so for me, I was acting out my shame, my insecurities around my body, around the color of my skin, because yes, I was bullied. You know, I was bullied in Louisiana. So I grew up in the South and there was a lot of racial tension. And so I was ignoring the fact that, yeah, I'm actually not only hurting in as a daughter, I'm also hurting as a woman of color. And now that I'm actually healing this, I'm feeling more air in my lungs. And breath is a big um, principle that I like to teach, really learning how to get into the, the body. And I'm still currently healing my lungs. I'm learning to love my lungs, to actually nourish it. And I admit I have shame when I go to the movie theaters and I cough. And especially because of COVID, there's so much um, shame about, you know, COVID and all these stories that we carry. And so I'm learning to breathe more, to speak to my body because the body does, does listen magically. And so that's something that I'm experiencing right now. It's that emotion is shown up in our body and it's not going to show up as only a story. It's going to show up as a cough. And also I have a blinking eye. So if you're noticing that it's also a trauma, it's unresolved trauma. It's something that we did not acknowledge. I was told, don't go to therapy, just, just let it go. No, people don't just let it go because it's shown energetically in the body. Yeah, and there's so much evidence now coming out around just how trauma works in the body. And, and you know, uh, Bisser van der Kolk is a, a researcher of, of trauma and healing, and he wrote a book called uh, The Body Keeps the Score. And it's just all of the ways in which physiologically there's a, there's a, there's a kind of scoreboard, like what, what has happened to you? But not just what has happened to you, what have you been doing with what's happened to you? So there's this interplay between, of course, like genetics, the kind of nature piece, and then the nurture, like what actually occurred in our life. And then there's this third domain that I, I don't hear talked about nearly enough. And to me, it is the domain of sovereignty. It's the domain of, of, of self-agency, where we get to choose how we hold what happens to us. And, and of course, our interpersonal relationships or our coaching or shamanic practices or all of the ways that we can be supported in, in self-agency. But, but at, the, at the core of it, I, I love when people bring a message like you do around empowerment. It's like, okay, yeah, what happened to you happened to you. Got it. And, and now what? Like, what, what do we do with that now? So, you know, maybe you could share a little bit about some of your healing journey. And then I would love to speak in a way that helps people that might be on a similar journey as you um, make their way a little bit more effectively, a little bit more clearly. So yeah, after the things that happened to you with your stepfather and and being involved in sex work, was there you know anything you wanted to share about um, navigating that the the world of sex work and and um, yeah moving into what you do now? How, how did that happen? Like, were, were there mentors involved? Did you, did you have a, a striking experience that, that made you go, no, I need to actually do, do life a bit differently. I'd love to hear a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. There's like so many good themes here. I'm just going to go with what my heart says. Um, and I think community is one of the biggest pieces to healing our shame and guilt. And just before I get into that, the distinction of shame and guilt is shame is I am a bad person or I am broken. And then um, 
guilt is I did something wrong. Guilt is I did that wrong thing. I'm going to be punished. Um, and I feel it so connected to community. I feel like it's so connected to religion. So if you grew up religious and you're feeling like, am I going to be accepted here? Just know that there are communities where you're going to be loved. There's a billion people in the world and there's going to be a community that will love you. And part of the journey to heal is actually finding a community that is going to celebrate your sexuality, that's going to celebrate the crazy, that's going to celebrate the weird. And for me, I found a sex positive community and I started discovering play parties and I finally felt accepted. I saw all these naked bodies. I, I felt a level of deep uh, communication where we're going to talk about um, H, like we're going to talk about STDs. We're going to talk about the things that we don't like. We're going to talk about what's in the gap, what's in the way of us relating. And that was uncomfortable for me. I was not used to intimacy. I was not used to um, going deep. I was used to running away and escaping. And I'm still working on that wound. I'm not going to tell you that I'm completely healed because part of the healing is actually taking responsibility and being aware. I still have my little girl wanting to run, but it's also having that community, having a partner, having a friend says, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm not going to give up on you. It's not your fault. And that is actually one of my experiences of working with people that have trauma, especially women, is wanting to be angry, wanting to blame, wanting to say, I don't want to do this therapy thing. I don't want to do this thing. I want to just do it alone. And guess what? I know how that is to want to do it alone because I play that game a lot of times, a lot of times where I just want to do it alone. And part of sovereignty is not to just do it alone. <laughs> like that's not, that's not why I talk about sovereignty. It's not about, I'm going to be an independent woman. I'm going to do this alone. I'm going to do it without anyone. Cause that's also not sovereignty. Sovereignty is also to have, to ask for help, to admit that you probably have a problem or maybe you don't have a problem. Maybe you just feel really lonely and scared and you're emotional and you don't know how to receive. And maybe the first step to sovereignty is, is saying, I actually don't know what to do. I actually am afraid of being judged or I'm having suicidal thoughts and going to someone who may... Um, really relate to you and listen to you. And so sometimes the best medicine is not for someone to coach you, for someone to give you advice. It's someone to fully listen to you, like fully listen to you. I'm No one's here to fix you, but fully just let you release, whether emotions, whether you're yelling or crying, but to fully allow that emotion to release. And one of the definitions of sovereignty is state to being in that state of neutrality and neutrality is a state of like non-attachment. And so for me, one of the biggest steps to my healing was finding a community that fully supported me. And another step to healing is finding a practice that feels good to you. So there are a million practices out there. There's breath work, there is hypnosis, there is EFT. I've tried them all. I've done plant medicine. I've been on that shamanic journey of discovering who am I without these stories. And part of my journey to heal is writing. <laughs> and I, I love writing. Um, it's been one of my top healings in 2021 is literally writing what is the story what is the archetype and what is the emotion connected to that so for me when i hear the word sex work i could tell in my body that there's still some sensation there so the more that i start talking about it i get to reframe that story and say this happened for me i get to empower other women to transition out of this work i get to teach them that they are accepted, that they are not broken because I know how it is to be in that container, to be in that identity of feeling like you're just selling your, your body. <laughs> and for me, 
I saw myself as a healer. Like there was that moment where, wow, I'm actually with mentors that are celebrating me, that are teaching me different techniques where I want to learn about the brain. I want to learn about how is this also connected to our memory? Um, I know I'm still working with my brain fog, my memory. Um, I'm still hypervigilant. I'm aware that I can be a little shaky sometimes when I hear loud uh, sounds. So I'm aware of it. And once you're aware of it, you can say, how can I heal? It's not by over-consuming information. You have to get in the somatics. You have to get in the body. And for me, I love getting into the body. I mean, part of the work that I did was massaging. <laughs> and I saw so much tension in the jaw, especially the jaw, the face, um, more than any other part of the body was like the crown, which is so connected to orgasm, being able to like really relax. And so that's something that I learned with my journey to sovereignty is like literally sharing the story. And if journaling doesn't help, you know, talking to a friend, um, so you don't have to go to the church. You don't have to like confess your sins. Um, there are people, there are practitioners that celebrate that. And for me, that's something that I notice um, about the work that I do. The more that I start sharing and um, just holding space for people, people on the street will say, I don't know why I'm telling you my life story. I don't know why I'm telling you this thing, because you have that frequency where you just feel like people trust you. And the truth is, years ago, when I started doing podcasting, I was lying I was saying that I left the industry or I'm transitioning, but I was actually still feeling a sense of freeze response. And now I can sleep better at night knowing I've finally owned my story. So the truth is you don't have to share that story. You don't have to publicly, mm. you know, go on social media. That's not what this is about. Like, that's not the journey to healing. It's literally one thing at a time. There's layers to healing. I feel like I'm in a part where I'm finally ready to share that story where it's elegant. And again, sometimes it's a very simple thing where you can just write in your journal. And maybe the second layer is talking to that one person and maybe just allowing yourself to cry, allowing yourself to just feel that and looking at yourself in the mirror and just forgiving yourself. Mm. Yeah, I love, I love like that you focused on the breath as one of your primary pieces that, that's been supportive of your journey and your healing and that, that I'm sure you use with other people because the breath is so simple it's so accessible. It's just ever, ever available. While we have a breath and a heartbeat, it's something we can tap into. And, you know, I've, I've experienced a bunch of different kinds of breath work. And it, it's clear to me that there's something about the, the way in which on, on its own, the body will breathe, right? Like con conscious awareness isn't necessarily needed for, for the body to breathe. It, it will just breathe on its own. And there is this way in which we participate in the breath. Like how we breathe is, is a, also a conscious, has a conscious dimension to it. And, and I think there's a way in which the engagement with the body and the breath in a way that is, it's sort of, it's like inclusive. It doesn't start by trying to exclude something you know, in particular, the uncomfortable feelings in us that are so often leftover remnants of trauma. When we push those things away, I think that's part of what where the where the dysfunction in the body comes from. It's like we're dissociating from our own experience, and so the breath is just such a lovely way to come back to the body, to come back to to conscious agency and, and sovereignty. And and I'm curious for you. Did the breath come in after you started your journey or was there something about the breath that, that was initially there to kind of go, oh, like there's a new direction. There's a new trajectory for me in my life. Do you know, do you remember where the breath kind of came in as a, a primary piece of your journey? Hmm. That's a good question. I'm going to just 
feel into it, right? Breathe into it. Um, well, the truth is I've always been aware of the breath through meditation. So I got into, um, it's called Ziva Meditation by Emily Fletcher. And she just taught that, you know, the mind's always going to be thinking, you're always going to have thoughts. And I always knew that breath was aware of, I was aware that breath was part of meditation to just be aware of, you know, your thoughts. And one of the things I learned is to focus on a mantra. So I was given like a Sanskrit mantra, which was like a very big secret thing. But the last thing I was actually aware of was my breath. And to be honest, I started using the breath more in 2021. When I was away from people, I was not dancing. I was literally, what am I going to (laughs) do? I was meditating, but I felt like I was not aware of the power of the breath until I started recognizing that I had trauma in my lungs. Mm. And this is a recent actualization that I was just so used to just going into meditation instead of what if it's possible to heal through breathing, through breath. And I'm I'm still practicing that currently. I'm still practicing that myself right now as I notice that Sometimes I'm going to have a really intense cough. And one of the emotions in the lungs is guilt, is shame. It's also cheerfulness. It's also excitement, um, overwhelm, judgment. That's also shows up in the, in the Chinese meridians. So again, it, it comes down to willingness. And I share this again in the, in the video series is, what would courage have you do? And are you willing to do this? Mm. Because the truth is there is a layer. There's a part of us that is going to self-sabotage. And for me, I go into the fawn response. This is something I recently learned. Um, yes, we have fight, flight, freeze. But the other response that we have from unresolved trauma is fawn response. F-A-W-N. So it's like pedestaling or just having a lot of power outside of you. But what if the power came from your breath? Trusting and knowing that your breath is going to take you exactly where you need to go. And sometimes you might just not want to do anything after you breathe. And if you're a workaholic, (laughs) I like to create. Um, I come from a line of women who are work, you know, my mom, she is a maid. My mom, she cleans for a living. My dad was an entrepreneur and the truth is work killed him. He, I know that that's what happened. And because of that, I get to practice what I preach. And part of sovereignty is actually tuning in and connecting with your body. Because Sometimes we don't think about the body until it's too late. We don't think of it until it's too late. And sometimes... As an entrepreneur, we think, okay, I'm going to hustle. I'm going to make that money and I'm going to get exactly what I need. But then before it's too late, you're like, I don't know what to do. And so part of my journey to become a self-pleasure shaman is to actually sit with my breath, even when I want to do more. And I might even practice this after. So if you're listening to it, give yourself 30 minutes to do nothing, to just breathe. And maybe that's uncomfortable. And maybe me saying this is uncomfortable, but it's part of the journey to heal is doing the things that are outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, I'm just hearing you speak about when sovereignty is there, there's a natural component of of kind of self-responsibility. And to start to make the choices that reflect what matters to you and or what you know moves you towards your greatest purpose like what would what would courage have me do is such a beautiful question and and in me i i sense that other people are probably very similar in me when i ask that question i'm immediately in relationship with with a kind of noble purpose uh, for my life courage is about doing what is good what is noble what is right in the face of cost or difficulty and and the more we're willing to do that, to me, the way I would kind of pose it to someone who might be on a, a healing journey is the more you're willing to do that, 
the more you put your healing and your transformation in your own hands, the more you show up for what is painful and uncomfortable with courage. And then you do those things that most support you and that deeper purpose. Then I like to say it's like, then the body does what it's designed to do, which is to heal. Like our bodies, our mind, our emotion, our physical bodies, they are literally designed to, to adapt, to heal, to transform. And so that's heartening. I think for those of us on a path, some of us are really clear that, that the path is, is, is headed in a good direction. Other people that have started might not be so uh, convinced. So I think that maybe that's a place for us to go is what would you say to people that are maybe still in the darkness or, or have maybe taken some steps, but it doesn't feel like it's working for them. What, what would you say to support someone in continuing along their journey? Hmm. So I imagine a skeptic or someone who's really in their brain. Um, and I believe that maybe the reason why they're listening to that is because part of them is ready for that journey. Mm. And they don't want to do that because that's what they're used to. That's what love conditioned them to become. And I imagine like this rigid tension in the body of having to do it one way and gripping. It's like this real intense grip instead of what would happen if you surrender if you stop scaling, if you stop doing things a certain way. And I know about structure. I work with men. Um, I have a habit of having to do things by the box instead of trusting that the path to least resistance is doing something differently. And it's going to change the neural pathways when you do something differently. And personally as studying the work of Joe Dispenza, it's so important to break that pattern by changing and rewiring the brain and just changing your pattern. It could just be, I'm going to not work today. And maybe that is extremely difficult and it's bringing up sense of control or anger. And if you're getting angry, then maybe that there's something underneath that because underneath anger is fear. And underneath fear is, what are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of losing your family or you're afraid of losing your business? And there's so much identity around who I need to, what I need to make or needing to be successful um, because what we were taught, get an A in school you know, live the nine to five job, have a successful six, seven figure launch. And I have, I have those stories about launching and business and being an entrepreneur. And what I'm actually journeying with right now is healing my relationship with race as a woman of color, as a Latina, healing my relationship to food knowing that sometimes I want to emotionally eat mm. or wanting to work when actually what my body needs is to breathe, to relax. And that sounds easy and basic, but what if the thing that you're resisting is actually the thing that's here to heal you? Mm. And yeah. maybe you're, yeah. No, go ahead. Um, Maybe you are realizing that your business is actually connected to the lack of intimacy, the lack of connection. And I've had coaches that I've talked to that one of the number one skills that they don't have is intimacy, is connecting, is relating. Instead of here's a link or click my, my sales funnel. And this is so connected to sexuality because we're trying to get straight into the solution or I want to get this orgasm. I want to get to the finish line. It's never about the finish line. It's about surrendering. And sometimes you're going to feel rejected. Sometimes you're not going to get the attention of your partner. And then that's when you become sovereign. That's when you become a free agent of change. 
Yeah. One of the things that's been coming up in me as we've talked is um, the relationship between shame and self-sabotage. So I'd love to kind of check in with you about that. I know for myself, some of the shame that I've carried um, had me making choices that are not good for me. And I can make quite a strong and direct link between my sense of shame and my choice to do things that are not good for me. So, yeah, I'm just curious if you have any any insights or anything to say about that dynamic of self-sabotage and and what might be helpful for someone that, that's in that place where they don't feel good about themselves. And in some ways that's translating into them making choices that are not good for them. Yeah. I connect this back to storytelling and back to the story of transitioning from sex worker into healer. And I admit that I self-sabotaged by telling myself, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve a great life. Like perhaps there's a part of you that really wants to heal. There's a part of you that really wants to call in this partner. You want to create this online business. There's a part of you that's saying, I don't deserve this. There's someone better. Like, who am I to have this? Why am I a leader? No one's going to believe me. Who's going to love me? It always comes down to the feeling of feeling unlovable. Mm. You know, am I lovable? It always comes back to love. And so when I was doing sex work, I still had the voice of my stepfather in my ear, like subconsciously was a whisper. You're a pretty girl. You might sell your body. There's no hope for you. You're not smart enough. You're still Spanglish. So I was always, I always felt like I was not Spanish enough. I don't know. And I'm still dealing with that story currently and, you know, feeling fluent in Spanish, feeling fluent in in English. And yet here I am on this podcast, right? And there's still some kind of like, I can say it's smarter. I can share it like dolphin. Or maybe if I have this specific concept or this psychology, then I will have made it. I will be successful. And a lot of the the stories of the Latino families are success is so related to your career. Mm -hmm. If you get this career, if you make this money, you are successful. And then... They're told if you go to therapy, you're going to embarrass the family. I read that in an article that any Latinos that get therapy are going to be an embarrassment because they have to do it alone. It's very machismo. It's very masculine. And so for me, what made me different from my family was vulnerability. When I started getting emotional, when I wanted to yell into a pillow, They said, you're not supposed to yell. You're not supposed to cry. Bottle it up inside. And it feels so good to to feel. It feels so good to cry. And sometimes in that moment, it's not going to feel good. But afterwards, like that breath, that energy, that aliveness, it's going to be so rewarding for the next day and the next month. Throughout everything, are there any people that have stood out to you as kind of primary mentors, primary people of of kind of influence throughout your journey that you could speak about? This is great. My mentors shift um, year to year, month to month. And I will say that in the beginning of my journey, it came down to attending play parties. And some of the first mentors were men were white men. And um, I know some Latinas of mine are not happy that I have been trained by white men. And here's the thing is, I love white men. For me, it's really about the integrity and the intentions behind it and the values. And for me, one of my first mentors um, is Dustin Garrett, who is a friend, colleague. He taught me a lot about the, the principles of the masculine. I did not know about David Data. I did not know about, you know, these esoteric teachers. For me, it was my friend. And the best thing he did was just hold space for me and share my story, share my shame, and um, just sharing the principles and, and actually saying, you can lead, you can teach, letting me be a leader. 
I was taught to be a follower, but when someone said, here's a torch, you lead. I'm not here to create followers. I'm here to create leaders. That was a big piece for me. And then of course, the shame piece, I was taught by my friend, Reed Mahalko. And he taught me about, um, you know, talking about the scariest thing, talk about the STDs, talk about your relationship agreements, your boundaries, your safe word, your pronouns. Do I, do you identify with he, she, they, and of course, learning about the acidity principle, give credit to this man. And I always give credit to my mentors. And I think that is so important as a coach, as a leader is to always give credit where credit is due. And so for me, I just, that is what makes me magical is that my wisdom doesn't come just for me. It comes from all of my ancestors, all of my teachers. And sometimes I might not resonate with everyone, and that's okay. I'm not here for everyone. I'm here for me and I'm here for the people that identify with this story. That's part of sovereignty, right? Owning who you are. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And I appreciate that, you know, mentorship, it, it's meant to transcend labels and, and divisions and ideologies. It's like when, when someone is truly mentoring us, it's like two human beings that are, that are sharing what I think of as just the way human beings have learned throughout time. It's in, it's the way life has learned throughout time through, through relationship and interaction. So uh, yeah, I just appreciate your, your um, yeah. Label free kind of uh, paradigm free uh, interpretation of that. Well, I think we're, we're getting close. I, I would love to hear from you if there's anything else that, that you want to say about what we've spoken about so far or if there's any other kind of topics that feel present for you right now. And in, in, like you're, you're in a, an interesting part of your journey where uh, it's clear you've stepped into a new life uh, with, with presence, with empowerment. You're, you're now leading. How is that? And... Um, what do you feel like is next for you? Hmm. There's so many questions there. Um, what's next for me is continuing this journey of sovereignty by being aware of the self-sabotaging voice. We have so many voices in our head. And that's another thing I learned from my mentors is sometimes we have a bad neighborhood and it feels like a community of people, a committee of people just telling you, you're not good enough. And it might be your mom or your grandmother or the people at your table. Um, and yes, there's so many components to the sexual healing, right? Some people want orgasm, like having the best sex of their lives, but it always comes back to your relationship with yourself, the voices in your, in your head. And again, go back to the fundamentals, breath using your voice um presence presence is part of like being aware of the voices in your head and that's one of the things i do is provide those tools those practices for people to really get out of their own way and one of my current practices is receiving and i didn't tell you this earlier but receiving is a big practice to orgasm believe it or not it's one of the things i learned from my mentors is if you're really good at giving Sometimes if you are the provider, if you are the masculine, the person who takes care of everyone, receiving might feel really uncomfortable. And as we're doing this podcast, this month is my birthday month. My birthday is December 28th. And I'm also recognizing that there's a little girl who does not want to celebrate her birthday because there was a story that happened where I had a big long table at a pizza parlor with red balloons all over and huge pizzas. No one was there at the table. So that was the story that I made up. And underneath that story is abandonment is a little girl who just needs to be held. And she wants red balloons and she wants to feel loved. And sometimes 
people are not going to be there. And if you're a December baby, you know, that is the biggest opportunity to love yourself. That is the biggest opportunity to take up space to say, you know what, I'm going to create my own birthday. I'm going to make it happen. That is something that I'm practicing right now is healing my birthday wound and changing the script of that story. And sometimes it's not just writing that story down. It's also doing something about it, right? Going back to courage, going back to willingness. And for me, that was asking people to celebrate my birthday, changing the story, talking about it until that story is no longer there. And it's always going to be a practice. So receiving is so connected to our sexuality. So um, last thing is just what once you receive, the biggest practice is fully receive it. Don't give it back right away. Someone gives you a compliment. Oh, thank you. You look good too. Or you're smart too. I, I tend to do that. I'm such a giver. I love to give, but to receive huge practice, huge, huge practice. Yeah, and we can learn. Yes. Beautiful. Erika, it's a total pleasure to, to sit with you, to be with you, to hear your story, to, to share a conversation. Thank you for taking the time. Um, yeah, I appreciate it. I know the audience appreciates it here. And it just if people want to connect with you and learn more about you, where can they find you online? They can go to ericabriones.com. It's two A's, K-A-A.com. Same name, Instagram and Facebook. And also, yeah, just connect with me. Happy to hear your story. I think if you do reach out, please share your story. That's the most important thing. I will not judge you. Uh, I will welcome you. And just remember, you always have community. Thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to doing this again. And for those that joined us, thank you for coming. Uh, Thank you for staying with us. We look forward to sharing more. Take care, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. You've been listening to the Better Relationship Podcast brought to you by RelationFlix. Please subscribe to the podcast and you can go and check us out at relationflix.com. We look forward to sharing so much more with you. And until next time, my friends, love well.